first and foremost, we got the tour, the very first date of the tour, kicking things off at the House of Blues of Anaheim. First date of the tour with Exhorter and Hydroform. And is the first date really kind of indicative of how a tour goes? Jeez, I mean, that, that's a pretty good question. I have never answered that question. It's always a different date because there's a there's a different excitement uh, that's, that's attached to it. It's, it, it feels like... Uh, you know, opening day uh, at a baseball park, you know, that, you know, that kind of a vibe, you know, everybody's excited about the whole thing. And usually that excitement lends itself to the success of the first show. I don't think it's indicative, but uh, for sure, one of the exciting shows based on, hey, let's get this thing rolling. Almost kind of like a first date, like dating wise too. I mean, that, that whole excitement <laughs> you're talking about. Well, I mean, that could be a blowout too, though. You never <laughs> <laughs> Oh, not again. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had some bad uh, first dates, uh, professionally or, or personally, uh, over the years that come to mind? Uh, first dates or first shows? <laughs> Either one. Well, why not? It's Valentine's Month, right? Oh, first dates. Come on. I'm a, I'm a blue-collar guy. We all have, I mean, we, we, we bat 50-50 on those, you know, unless, <laughs> unless we marry the first girl that we, we ever date. Um, yeah, I suppose I've had awful first dates um you know some weird ones i'm trying i'm trying to have a few come to mind here but first shows uh, you know i i think the excitement kind of wipes that out uh, i'm sure there have been i mean it's been 35 years of us touring so i'm sure there have been first shows which sucked but nothing that comes to mind and i mean and this one is is something exciting i was just out in anaheim uh, house of blues is a great venue i was there at metal allegiance you know you take that a great venue uh, southern california is just a, a hotbed of metal activity I mean, the uh, NAMM show proves that with, you know, how many headbangers are there, et cetera. So it just, it's a good formula for, for great success for that uh, first date, first show scenario we're talking about here. I bet the uh, set list is probably the, the toughest part about it, trying to put a set list together. And how many songs do you include from the, the latest album, The Wings of War? We hit the selfish bastard button, you know, <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, there's obviously a few that are, are, are classic kill in there that we've played over the years. I suppose there's four to five of those, uh, but we like playing the new stuff, you know, that's kind of the idea of still being able to do this that you know it's a little bit more exciting for me to play head of a pin or to uh play believe in the fight uh, as opposed to something like rotten to the core which i've probably done you know move five thousand times at this point in my life i hear it in my sleep i think it's my alarm clock but the um but the other tunes are, are new and and there's risk with new i think that that you know that that's why it's exciting to play them because sure we've gone out through europe twice with this tour we've gone through uh, uh the eastern part of the states with this tour and uh, South America, etc. More coming after this, and it seems to have succeeded. So I would think it would follow suit there, but still not being played four or five thousand times. The the newer songs are always uh, really important for the guys in the band. And to get that crowd reaction, to see how the crowd responds to the new tunes you're playing, to what they're digging, what they're into. Thirty five years, I've never said, "What do you think?" <laughs> I've never said. <laughs> Speaking of, of the uh, show, really cool to see X Order kind of getting their uh, their second life and they got a great new album out and, and getting a chance to show the world who maybe didn't know them the first time around. Yeah, I mean, fantastic vibe uh, that these guys have. Uh, Texas band, I think that was the longest hiatus that I remember. I think it was like the quarter of a century between records or something. They have a great sound. We knew there was a buzz on them. You know, I obviously remember them from the first time around. To see them come back and be able to hook them onto this, we thought only added to the value of the of the tour in general. Yeah, looking forward to it. Touching on the Metal Allegiance stuff and uh, it looks like a new band has kind of been formed out of this 
us out of your Metal Allegiance time with a BPMD and and wanted to talk a little bit about that album, all 70s covers, and you kind of getting together with a bunch of Metal Allegiance friends. The BPMD, it sounds like a bowel movement, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I can say it sounds like one of those commercials, like a drug, you know, ask, consult your doctor before trying BPMD. <laughs> You'll experience hair loss, erectile dysfunction. <laughs> in this ca- in this case, it'll grow it'll grow some hair on you <laughs> and help you through the night. You know, it's a, it's a fun project. It's obviously a nice pedigree that's in there. I mean, Mike Portnoy, Phil Demel, and Mark Mengi are all guys that uh, play at the top of their game and in the you know the top of their respective instruments. So to be added to that was was kind of cool. Like I give it kind of a, a dirty vibe uh, from a vocal perspective. But you know, it's just one of those things that you know. Mendy brought it up to me and said, what do you think? And I was like, boy, that sounds awesome. I mean, because many of us, you know, in metal were cut from some of this stuff. You know, the uh, the old metal guys like uh, myself. I mean, the 70s was, you know, I was, in, I was in high school back in the 70s. So I knew a lot of these songs. I had a lot of these records. And even the, the guys that that follow that generation, guys like Demo or Mendy, you know, they went back and listened to that stuff. And this is the bridge uh, somewhere between, uh, oh God, I mean, just a uh, hard pop to hard rock to heavy metal. This was that bridge. So to take it and kind of metal it up a little bit more, take it and play it with uh, a modern approach to it, uh, just kind of breathes uh, a contemporary life into the songs for, for today. So that was kind of the point of it, and I think that there's uh, there's a great success uh, in it when you press play, and you'll, you'll be able to hear that. You think it'll lead to original music one day, or is it just going to be a cover band? Jeez, I, you know, I don't know. This was, you know, this for me was like, that sounds like a, something fun to do over the summer. You know, that, I mean, that's as simple as it was. I, I try not to overthink things, you know. I think <laughs> it's, you know, one of my reasons for, for longevity is that I've never done that. <laughs> so, so I don't want to fuck it up, you know. It's, like, it's kind of like an opportunity comes my way and you can kind of squeeze it and then I think that if you squeeze the most out of that opportunity you're afforded more opportunities after that and I, you know I think that's for me that's uh, been a good formula uh, to work by I mean it's probably not good for everybody but for me it's work so I don't really think past what we're doing will other cover records happen I would I would assume so because I mean if we if this one's called Made in America why can't we do Made in the UK in the 70s yeah you know I mean? and, you'd, and you'd have great bands to pick from with you know with Sin Lizzy or some of that early Fleetwood Mac stuff with Peter Green and you know some of the bands that actually turned into metal bands you riot heat for God's sake you know I mean there's uh, there's just so many uh, so many choices over there so will more come out of it I would think so because we had a great time doing it um, are we going to do original music man I don't know that, that'll that have to be discussed over uh, over Think Crest Pizza and a couple of pictures of beer <laughs> how about uh, live dates are you at least thinking about live dates uh, well, well we are I mean we're open to them uh, I don't know if it'll actually be a, uh, you know a touring entity because because a touring entity is a, you know, it just gobbles up, uh, it gobbles up cash, you know, to to get uh, everything out there. So it's it's kind of special to be able to tour and do it correctly. But for sure, uh, if festivals came along, for sure, if specialty gigs came along, for sure, for long weekends. But you know, I don't I don't necessarily foresee tour buses and uh, tour buses and a you know a crew of uh, eleven people on the bus. I I just don't see that. I mean, it's a cover record for God's sake. We got to look at it for what it's worth. It still could be great, and it still is of a high caliber and great, uh, but I don't know about touring. We all have other things going on. Maybe open for Metal Allegiance in uh, 2021. Yeah, it's not the worst. I mean, it's not the worst. I mean, uh, I did something with Mark and uh, Alex and Mike Portnoy. Mike didn't make the last one. We had uh, 
Ron Daler from, from Macedon come in. But we did Black Sabbath show on Halloween, and we did it in New York one year, and then last year we did it in uh, Chicago. And, it, you know, it's the first Black Sabbath record. And then we add some of the, you know, like the deeper cuts, like Supernaut or, or, or some, of the, uh, some of the more popular ones like Children of the Graves. So we do about 75 minutes of Sabbath on Halloween. So, so that's kind of fun, too. So it's, um, I suppose, as, you know, as time has gone on, I find myself moonlighting. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if it's because of the New Jersey taxes or <laughs> Probably, <laughs> they just love doing it. <laughs> it. It feels almost like as, as a fan, it's almost like fantasy football, like seeing all you guys get together for Middle Allegiance and do all these cool projects. And ultimately, we as fans win because it's ultimately more, you know, more production out of you guys and more music, ultimately. And great to see you at, a, at the Metal Allegiance yeah, this year. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it, man. I mean, and there's a lot of puzzle pieces, you know? I mean, it's like, I like doing it just because I like working. I mean, that's maybe that's just my, my work ethic or, you know, I come from a blue collar kind of an area and it's, I just like doing it. I like staying busy. But then when it's over, I say, wow, that was that was really cool, you know, to have, you know, to, to have Alex playing uh, Tony Iommi leads and uh, Mark Mengi doing the Geezer Butler stuff and Bill Ward behind me and Mike Portnoy with pigtails in it. Was, uh, it was kind of cool. <laughs> I do have to ask, so uh, did you did you get a, a scar or a bruise or, or a, a nice little mark after that fall at the uh, Metal Allegiance this year? Oh, you saw that? Piece. Yeah. Oh, that was still an exciter, you know. <laughs> I, I got to tell you the story, right, because they use these round bass mic stands, right, at the House of Blues. So I, I always ask this guitar tech who's a buddy of mine since I got in there. I said, listen, John, you got to get me a tripod. All right. He goes, anything special? I said, 18 inch legs. That's all I need on the bottom of it. 18 inch legs. Just a simple one. Cause I like to, I like to use it like, uh, I don't know, like a, a baton. Let's just say. <laughs> I like to throw it around a little bit. Yeah. So in any case, he shows up with one, but they got like 24 inch legs on them. Right. So he's like, will this work? And I said, sure, I'll make it work. Don't worry about it. Get, get back to what you're doing. But it, this is a game of inches. And when I came flying off that monitor <laughs> in that, <laughs> that first chorus, I landed right in the nub of the, of the extreme on the thing oh. and it sent me ass over elbows and I'm thinking to myself I'm laying on the ground before uh, Andreas picks me up and I'm thinking I better kill the last notes in this song or this entire audience is going to think I'm drunk <laughs> 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 That's what I thought. Oh, he's probably been here since noon rehearsing with all these guys and throwing a few back. <laughs> now, just got the ankle. Just got the left ankle right on the nub of that, uh, the end of that leg. It's a game of inches. I've been using the 18-inch legs for years. <laughs> Long legs did you in that night. Was that one of the worst tumbles ever? No, God, no. Come on. I mean, there's been times, and, and you know, the guys in Overkill, we call it we call it piranhas, right? And it's um, when somebody's down, as long as they're not bleeding, you keep them down. And usually what happens is they'll lay down on the ground and somebody put their foot right on your chest. So whatever you're doing, you got to stay there to complete the song. <laughs> and then the other guys come over and it's just like, you know, they're all just looking for meat and everything. So, so now that's not the worst. I've gone, uh, I've done... Uh, harder and uh, uh, more dangerous falls uh, uh, you know over my career but uh, but usually usually there's no sympathy that follows it's only more abuse I was lucky you had Andreas there that saw the whole thing go down and, and pick you up when he did and had some space in the song to do so but you should have seen the expression on his face he was laughing so hard I don't think he could play right after that <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, Blitz, just a couple uh, couple last things for you. I appreciate all the time, especially today. I was happy to see, and I'm sure an old friend of yours, uh, Dave Mustaine, back and, and healthy and, and touring again in Europe and stuff. And it made me kind of think back to uh, Gigantor, which you did out here in San Bernardino. And kind of any uh, memories or thoughts from that tour looking back on that time? Well, that was a great tour for us, man. Uh, that, that whole Gigantor thing. Yeah, we were out at, I think it was called the Hyundai Pavilion at that time. Yeah. That was, uh, boy, that was that was a hell of a lot of fun. It gave us an opportunity to be exposed, um, I think, at a higher level, uh, which really helped Overkill directly. And you know, I attribute that, you know, to Dave and his camp, you know, kind of making that happen. And and Dave purely did it out of out of friendship. I mean, that was it. It's like, hey, you know, because we had toured together in 87. I think uh, they were doing Peace Cells. We were doing Taking Over. And it was a great, memorable kind of kickoff tour or second tour in the U.S. for both bands. You know, we were like, wow, this is great that, you know, you actually have people around the country who are kind of like uh, cut from the same cloth and, and have the same uh, aspirations and goals. And then we just repeated it in 2007, but at such a higher level. So for Overkill, it kind of opened the doors for us right after that to find better deals, to have been exposed at such a high level that it was uh, that much easier for us to tour bigger venues from that point on. And I think the the positive uh, that came out of that Gigantor are still ringing true today. Uh, that we are back on the West Coast and playing, you know, decent big venues uh, over there. Big clubs, obviously, a House of Blues type tour. Yeah. Um, when in the darker days of metal, that was just not a possibility for us to to make it financially feasible. But in in 2020, it is, and it's. Uh, I think a lot of that is attributed to uh, to that exposure on Gigantor. Loved it, man. Great tour and great to see Dave out there and. And, uh, back at it again. And one one last kind of uh, deep philosophical question. We've been having some fun joking around, but just kind of kind of curious from your perspective, philosophically talking about overkill. If if one day, hypothetically speaking, uh, Dee Dee woke up and and wanted a divorce per se, would you would you keep the wrecking crew together, or would you uh, you know put down that microphone and pick up a uh, stand up microphone and, and start working on your stand up comedy career? <laughs> All right, so two guitar players walk into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, that's that's the career once the singing is over for you, Bobby. Uh, if I can, if I can use some profanity, I can give you a joke uh, here. All right, so there is a tour manager, a sound man, and a light man. They're taking a break from setting up. They're walking on a beach next to the gig, and a bottle, a bottle washes up. The light man washes a bottle off, and out comes a genie. He grants them all a wish, and the light man says, "Send me to Europe. I want two supermodels. I want a million euros." And he disappears. And the sound man says, send me to Asia. I want all the yen that you can fit in a dump truck. And I want four Asian supermodels. And he disappears like that. The genie looks at the tour manager and says, and your wish? He goes, I need both of those motherfuckers back here right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, uh, you know, if Diddy wanted a divorce, I mean, uh, we talked about my principles earlier, and they are from day to day. I mean, obviously, there's some forethought into planning tours and everything. Uh, I don't know if I would keep the wrecking crew together. Obviously, I would still play. I think that's just part of me. I, this isn't a career anymore. I'm kind of a lifer. I've lived in motorcycle boots and Levi's my entire life. So uh, I continue. <laughs> I would continue to do such a thing. And, and the necessary equipment with that is uh, a Shure 58 microphone. So I'd be singing somewhere, but I'm 
hopefully we'll be with overkill. Okay, awesome. And then last last question for you, just to have some fun and step a little bit out, outside of your realm of music. But uh, of course, you know, the, the big four of thrash and that was, you know, to kind of define thrash metal in the 80s and we touched upon Megadeth and all that. And me being a dorky radio guy, I've kind of been working on what I like to call the evolution of that. If, if the big four of thrash kind of defined 80s thrash music, I, I look at like the next thing after that, the next wave, which would be like early 90s and just uh, be a radio dork and add one to it for what I like to call the flannel five. And I'd be curious who your favorite out of the flannel five would be out of uh, obviously out of your kind of comfort zone. But I'm sure you have an opinion on on the bands and not that they could tour or anything, but just kind of your favorite out of this time period, which would be, of course, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden or Alice in Chains out of those those bands. Who was your favorite out of that group? Yeah, Alice in Chains. And I think I was attracted to the fact that there was a huge diversity with them. They could almost be metal at times. They could use uh, tonalities that, you know, attracted the headbanger. But when you listened also to Staley's voice, I mean, that was just, I mean, that was just poetry in motion. I mean, audible poetry. And it was just, it was just so perfect. He never did what you expected. And that to me is always uh, something that is standout. And, you know, it's funny because whenever we talk about, you know, the four or and now your flannel flies, I always am, uh, for some reason, uh, perplexed how Pantera doesn't fit into, like, either of them. And that's where, because I, I, when you said flannel, I was picturing Phil Anselmo in a flannel shirt and a picture I'd seen of him saying, I'm picking Pantera because they don't fit into either. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think they were just kind of their own thing, though. I, I don't think they were in kind of a wave. Maybe, you're right, certainly Phil did wear a lot of flannel back in the day, but uh, I, I kind of think they were on their own their own island at the same time. Yeah, totally true. Separate entity. I yeah. mean, that's uh, probably what's uh, the most special about them is that you can't group them in. Last thing, just to wrap it up for Alice in Chains, pick a uh, Alice in Chains tune for us to play on the radio. Oh, God, how about Rooster? Beautiful. Dude, you rock. Thanks for checking out the entire podcast. Now just hit the subscribe button. That way you get it sent to you directly. And follow me on social media at Mike Z967. Don't miss the radio show, bro. Wired in the Empire happens every Saturday night at midnight on 967 KCAL Rocks online at KCALFM.com. Adios, 